Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I am excited to share with you my coach, Alicia Halpin. I've been working with her for, oh gosh, maybe half a year now. And as I said on the show, I will always have a coach. I work with different people depending on what I feel really called to work on and develop. And especially after having a baby and journeying into new motherhood, I just found myself dysregulated a lot. And I was talking to another friend of mine and she said, oh, you have to work with Alicia. And it's been amazing. She's such an expert on how the nervous system works, how the body works. And she has this beautiful priestess energy. I think you're really going to learn a lot from this episode. And she guides us through a beautiful guided process to calm your nervous system, to regulate you, to really bring you into the light at the end of the interview. So be sure to stick around for that. Let me tell you a little bit more about Alicia. She is an alchemist of the nervous system for visionary leaders and heart-centered entrepreneurs. Following a 20-year career as a somatic researcher and professor, Alicia now supports her clients to expand their nervous systems so their work can make a greater impact in the world without burning out. Alicia's facilitation guides an expansion of the nervous system regulation, moving people out of operating from positions of stress and overwhelm into embodied states of flow, connection, and mastery. Alicia is the -the behind-the-scenes priestess to some of the world's most successful and well-known coaches. Through her training program, Evolution, she guides space holders, facilitators, and coaches into integrating nervous system work in their businesses and lives. Before we dive in, if you are really feeling a call to do some somatic work and reset your nervous system and really come into that beautiful rest and digest state, I highly encourage you to come join me in San Diego for, you know what I'm going to say, my women's retreat. Time is starting to run out for registration. We do have scholarships available. Go ahead and apply at christinehassler.com slash signature retreat. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email jill at christinehassler.com. And I want to thank my sponsor for this episode, which is Organifi. You always get 20% off all of your Organifi products when you go to organifi.com slash over it and use over it as the promo code. Today, I want to talk to you about their green product. So eating healthy and getting your nutrition shouldn't be a pain in the butt, time consuming and expensive. And organic veggies can get pretty expensive and not always that convenient to shop for, depending on where you live and what season it is, so on and so forth. So you can subscribe to Organifi and get their green powder delivered. And it costs only $1.98 per day to get like basically vegetables in a powder. And you can really, really trust Organifi's product. I love them. I love the way that they make things. I love their ethos and I love the way their products taste. Their green has a clinical dose of ashwagandha made with clinically studied KSM 66 ashwagandha to help reduce stress, promote relaxation, improve quality of life, support a healthy immune system, promote memory and concentration, control stress-related things, food cravings, support quality of sleep, support physical performance and endurance, and support sexual health. Hey, pretty good for $1.95 a day. And if you don't want to subscribe, you can just go to Organifi.com slash over it and get 20% off any of your orders using the promo code over it. And now on to my conversation with Alicia. Alicia, I'm so happy to have you here and share you with my community. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you. 
Yeah, I know this is going to be a really important episode for people and probably just listening to this episode is going to be regulating for a lot of people because <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to be saying things that I think are just going to soothe a lot of people's nervous systems and hearts and minds. So as I said in the intro, we're going to be talking a lot about the nervous system, what it is, why it matters, what dysregulation means, why we want to be regulated. How do we know when we're dysregulated? We have a lot of ground to cover. What I want to start with, because I read your bio, but I really love hearing from the source itself because yeah. I think so much of what we do is informed by our, our own experience. Why did mm-hmm. you decide out of all the things you could zone in on, <laughs> why did you pick nervous system? Uh, such a good question. You know, I don't think I did pick it. I think it picked me because I would much rather be playing in the ethereal realms. I would much rather just be making my art and all of those things. But I think for my own journey, falling into somatics really early in my dance career and really believing that I was doing good things to regulate myself, but continuing to stumble and falter and be terrified of life uh, really required me to dig in deeper. And I think also the ancestral trauma that I carry, and then I was in a plane crash um, or an emergency landing technically, but we had no engines and we were falling from the sky. So what? I, I did not I know this about you. Crash. Yeah. So those, those really big life experiences, I think, had me sort of sitting in the challenge with, I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing what I was supposed to, to help myself. And it didn't seem to be helping. And so as I really dug in and began to study more about the nervous system and neuroscience and neurobioplasticity and all of these things, I just couldn't not teach about it. I couldn't not, you can't see it, you know, when you start Mm -hmm. to see it. And it just seemed to me that it was the most ethical thing to me, for me to do as a priestess as a spiritual director, as a mentor, as a coach was to bring this into my work. Okay. There's so many things I want to ask you about. First, the plane crash. (laughs) I know. (laughs) When did this happen? What the heck happened? I was in grad school. I was on my way to a conference, a dance conference, and I am on a plane and, uh, you know, it's, it's like one of those things that flashes through your mind sometimes when you're on a plane, right? Like, oh, something could happen. And it sort of felt like not turbulence, but it did feel like we were kind of losing altitude. And I said to my friend who was sitting next to me, um, hey, do you feel like we're losing altitude? And she's like, yeah, that's probably fine. And the guy across the aisle goes, yeah, we're losing altitude pretty fast. It's like, but it's, you know, probably just changing course either because of weather or another plane. It's no big deal. It's always fine until they dump the fuel. <laughs> all of a sudden there's this like this loud noise and like you look oh, out no. the window and, and I was like, would that be the fuel we just dumped? So anyway, <laughs> the pilot comes on, he's like, the captain is like preparing us for landing um, an emergency landing. And it, it was a really crazy experience, but I think it taught me so much about trauma because I went through that experience, like down, you know, the chute, just had to stuff whatever I could in my shirt. Mm-hmm. You can't take anything off the plane and, and sitting around, we were in the middle of the field, had to get bussed into a tiny little regional airport, waited for hours for plane. Anyway, mm-hmm. all of this is going on and I just kept functioning. Mm-hmm. I am sitting in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, okay, great. What, what homework can I do? <laughs> I need to prep my dances for this conference. And it wasn't till years later that my body finally began to process what happened. Wow. 
Yeah. And this wasn't like I a little in, little puddle yeah. jumper plane in the middle of some Tahitian island. No, this, this is, is a, a huge commercial flight. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, you know, it just really taught me that, you know, where I was in my own safety in my 20s, the ways that I thought I was going to survive, which was to stay, to get as much education as I could, to be as perfect as I could be, to be a really good, you know, student, all of these things, like that meant there wasn't much space for processing other things. So Mm -hmm. this plane crash didn't fit into my current state of reality. So I didn't process it. Mm -hmm. I mean, aside from being a traumatic event, which it was, it was also just the trauma of me being unable to process and to be present with my body in that. It also really alerted me to the fact that even though I was at this time, I'd been teaching somatics by the time I'd had that plane crash for about five years, been studying, was trained as a teacher in several different modalities. And I supposedly have this amazing mind-body connection because of all this stuff. And I was still using my mind to dominate my body. So even in the somatics work, even in all of the uh, training that I had of listening to my body, it was listening in order to control it, listening in order to get it to do something. So it was all about functioning and it was all about domination. And it wasn't about actually giving the space for the body to do what the body really needed to do. Okay. Can you give us some examples? Because I think a lot of people may not even know their mind is ruling their body. Versus listening yeah. to the body. So can you give us an example of like, this would be, you think that you're connected to your body and your emotions, but your mind mm. is still ruling. Whereas this is an example of you're actually, your body's in charge. Mm, that's a great question. How can we do this simply? So I think a lot of us, not a lot of us, most any of us who've gone to a westernized schooling system we're taught really early on to override our body's cues. So we're taught to sit still. We're taught to be quiet. We're taught to, to present a presentable body. And so this has, this takes us out of understanding our own impulses of when our body needs to do something. So when little kids just follow their impulse, like when they're done sitting on the chair, they just kind of roll to the floor. Right. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if the floor is clean. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's in public. It, like none of those things really matter. And then at some point we get conditioned out of that. Like that's not appropriate. And the same thing happens when we think about the relationship with our body on the emotional impulses. So those places where we really want to cry or we really want to scream or we really want to run or we really want to express in some way, but it's not appropriate. And so what happens is all kind of gets lumped together and we forget that we can find safe ways of expressing what our body needs to express without maybe directing it towards someone else or without creating other harm or things like that. And we just get into these habits of suppression. And so a lot of times when we're in a relationship or we're in an encounter, we have an an impulse that it's like, I want to do something but we haven't had the outlets to figure out how to express that without blaming or shaming or creating more discord in the relationship. And so we suppress the body. And then what happens is it comes out kind of sideways. So usually the body's going to have to be heard. And so it'll either be heard through pain or illness, or when we have kind of an emotional reaction to something that we don't it's like, it doesn't match what's going on. Mm-hmm. Those are places we can tell like we haven't been listening and we haven't been giving an outlet. 
an example of giving ourselves space to maybe do that is I think for a lot of us in rewiring our relationship to our tiredness, right. And just like not learning, like learning to listen to when our capacity is low and not having a story about that and either making space to take a nap or even just giving ourselves the, like the space to operate at the capacity that we're at. So a place where I, I work with, um, when, when we're, when I'm doing like co-regulated co-working with people, one of the things we do in the beginning is we listen to our body and we give ourselves a number. Where's our capacity at right now? Mm-hmm. So from zero to 10, like where's my capacity and then learning to listen to what is it to work just in that field of capacity, mm-hmm. not to say I should be at 10 or it's a problem if I'm just at two, but like, what would it be like if I just worked at my two mm. and that was full, that was enough. That was beautiful. So I think listening to ourselves can be this way of learning to operate within what our current resourcing and capacities are without as much judgment and a lot more compassion. Mm. Mm. I think too, what, what you said about, I'm going to circle back to, and I'm going to come back to the somatics, but you said, I can't remember your words exactly, but it was something along the lines of, I thought I was doing everything I needed to do mm-hmm. to be in my body and to like handle my stuff. Yeah. So what were the things you were doing? Because I think a lot of people think they are doing all the things. And where were totally. the gaps? Yeah, I was meditating <laughs> and I was doing yoga and I was doing other different types of somatic practices based in alignment and energy work. So I was showing up for the practice, but I wasn't where the gap was, was like, I wasn't initiated into understanding my system into understanding my nervous system. So all of the power went to like, if I show up to this practice, then hopefully this practice will save me. Mm. So I was really in like a misalignment with my own power and with the practice. And I think that's a lot of us. I think we know that you know, we, we've heard that meditation is great for us, or we've heard this type of practice is great for us. And so we're like, great, I'll do that. And hopefully that will save me. (laughs) And unfortunately the technology works through our own body system, right? The practice works through our own body system. So it's how I am in relationship to the practice. Most modalities work well enough. I won't necessarily say that all modalities are created equal and that there's not some modalities that are definitely more effective in different ways. But for the most part, whatever modality you're doing is like, it's, it's good enough. It's, it's a good enough practice. What really changes your practice is your relationship to being your own initiator, to being the person who understands where you are in the stress response. So you can support yourself to go all the way through to completion and not keep these doors open so that the energies become these loops that you're following, um, habitually. Mm. Mm. Oh, the habitual loops, man, they really ingrain those (laughs) grooves in our brain, don't they? They really do. And and I think, you know, so many of us are, are really curious about sovereignty in this life and really curious about freedom and really looking to have different models of society and governance and all of these things. And yet, until we understand how much we are co-opted in our own self by these imprints of these stress responses that are now our personality, that now mm-hmm. we just keep following unconsciously, like we're, we can't have systems of freedom when we can't even find it in our own body. That's so true. 
Oh, all right. So let's, let's really get a little technical here. What okay. is our nervous system? What is it? <laughs> yeah, it's our operating system. It's our electrical system. It's for me, what I like to say is, is when we think about what makes us alive or, or where aliveness is facilitated, it's through the nervous system and, and the biophysical way it's making sure that all of the operations that keep us alive are working our breath, our heart, our digestion. And it's also the informational highway. It's carrying information from the brain to the body and the body to the brain. And it's also the interface between our physical self and our energetic or intuitive self. So it's also being the informational highway between the parts of us that are coming from the psyche soul, the energy world, the chakras. When we think about what power is, if we take power down to its basics, it's our electrical charge, the voltage of this humanness. Mm. And the nervous system is what facilitates that. So the nervous system is how we facilitate our power. So when it's locked, when it's loaded up, when it's closed off, when it's blocked, any of these words we want to use, we actually can't be empowered because our nervous system is not holding the actual charge of our life force. So it's not just the biophysical mechanics. We don't want to just look at the body as, you know, hardware. And yet there's something useful about understanding the system and hardware and software that can help us. But for me, the nervous system is the, it's the ground basics of what to be alive as a human working at the level of the nervous system is where it's at. Everything we're experiencing is facilitated through the nervous system. Mm. Mm. Everything. So when we think about, so when we think about, and this is why I love this work is because I feel like it's left out of a lot of personal development work because there's the emotional level where we hold a lot of memories where we can cry our tears and work with the inner child. And I love inner child work. That's my jam. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how do we, cause it's like, when I think of the nervous system, I think of those, you know, posters in science class with the, the body and all the little (laughs) like tree branchy things, right. In terms of the nerves. But when trauma happens to us and one of my, you've said many things that I love. Um, in our sessions, one of the things for me that landed like a mic drop moment was when you said, Christine, trauma is also too little for too long. Cause I hear it defined all the time as too much, too soon, too fast, but trauma for too little, too long. It also impacts the nervous system. So too little Mm -hmm. attention for too long, too little support for too long, too little sleep for too long. All of yes. these things. So when I see again yeah. that little diagram of the body with all the little nerves, it's like we might have processed things emotionally or mentally, but I see these little nerves looking fried. That's how they they, they mm. appear to me when I picture it. Exactly. Is that yes. what happens? Like what happens to our actual nerves and the vagus nerve and the the, the what, to, what happens on the physical level to us from trauma? Mm. Yeah, quite a bit. And I, I too often see when I look at someone's system and I'm looking at sort of working towards an, an image on the energetic level of like what's going on. I often do see the frayed nerves. It almost kind of looks like, um, yeah, I haven't had my hair cut in a while. It's like the split ends that I keep looking at, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like that place. And if we think about 
if things, if we've been under-resourced and you imagine sort of um, a playground or even a house, right? And it's been under-resourced. It hasn't been taken care of in a while. It's like the weeds start to grow up, right? And and the, the, the foundation gets cracks in it and the paint starts to crumble. In a way that's like similar to what happens in our system, it begins to break down, right? Because there's not enough fuel. There's not enough um, energy to really run the system. And so the system is so beautiful in that it's like, okay, well, we can do without this. And so it starts to become very efficient and effective. And so it moves energy out of things that would have us in thriving, would have us in flourishing, would have us in beauty and pleasure and joy towards like, okay, let's do the basics of surviving. Mm -hmm. And so the body will make these kind of calls to keep itself alive but it's really affecting the quality of our life, mm-hmm. right? And so when we get stuck in a survival loop, what can happen is that the body, even if we think we've healed kind of the emotional pattern, which I think is a lot of the time when people come to work with me, they've done a lot of the emotional work and they can tell me all the reasons for all the things, but it's still living in a density level in the nervous system. And so it's still at the subconscious level operating. It's still alive in the, in the body. Mm-hmm. And the, so the body is diverting energy or it's diverting aliveness from where we often want it, moving towards our creations, our manifestations, these things we're dreaming about. And it's keeping the energy operating in a survival loop. And so we'll see these kind of feast and famines or these scarcity patterns or kind of a repeat of a cycle in our lives that just like we can't get out of. And it's that, it's that pathway of survival that the nervous system is operating. And ultimately, you know, we can say a lot about the ego, but if we look at the ego as being the part of us, that's helping us to survive. It thinks it's doing its job, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, I'm, I'm keeping you alive. I'm doing what I'm supposed to by you know, giving you this neural cocktail and and having you create this drama in your relationship so that you can get more energy into your body because we're sourcing everything through this survival pattern. And it can take a lot to dislocate the body's identification to that survival. And so we have to do safety work first. We have to become safe enough to dislocate from the survival. And that's where the vagus tone the vagus nerve comes in and the amount of tone that's in the vagus nerve is so important. So when we're under-resourced, the toning can often be lax. So it's like a little too loose. If you think about like, like a guitar string, if it's too lax, like it doesn't make the right sound. And in fact, sometimes you can't get any sound out of it. The other side, if we've been running too much energy or we're too stuck, we're too rigid and that string is too taut, then it could snap right? Or that it's, it's little, it's a little sharp. It's a little too sharp. So when we think about having the vagus nerve in the right amount of tone, it's like, it can facilitate the frequencies we want. Mm. So when we think about the two aspects of the vagus nerve, we've got the dorsal vagus, which it goes, we can think about more of like the belly brain as being where the dorsal vagus is located or is going to have most of its information sort of residing and, and how many of us are dealing with gut issues? (laughs) How many of us are dealing with, you know, these belonging issues can also be really in our dorsal vagus that 
place of feeling fully accepted as who we are, and also the place where our survival instincts are off. And I think we're really seeing this as a collective where we're so out of touch with nature. We think again that survival comes from dominating nature. And and that is also internalized in us that we're going to survive by masking ourselves. We're going to survive by being perfect. A lot of that's keeping the energy in this dorsal side of our system really off kilter. The dorsal side is unmyelinated, meaning that it's not coded. It doesn't process energy very fast. It's a very slow processor and it needs good resources to process. And it's our ancient brain. It's 5 million years old and it's about surviving, right? And it, but it's like when it's too lax, we're like, I can't even survive. I can't do this. I can't figure this out. I suck. Life sucks. Like it's just like, it's so heavy. Mm -hmm. And when it's over-processed or too taut, which maybe less people experience in their dorsal side, but it can have more of that sort of anxious ringing in our body, or we're just, um, we're, we're completely unsettled. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've got just sort of this, this inability to sort of settle or even feel maybe safe in our silence and our stillness in resting rest becomes unsafe. You know, we just kind of stay in the urgency in the ventral side, which is really where we come into social engagement, where we're able to connect, where we really are reminded that we're built for community, that we're built for tribe, we're built for um, co-regulation and connection. When this place is is not operating, a, a lot what we're going to see is our fawning patterns show up. Mm-hmm. We're not able to sort of be centered in ourself. And that can look like everything from feeling too selfish to take time for ourselves feeling like we have to give everything away, like nothing's for us. It has to be for everybody else. Um, Or feeling really isolated, coming into hermit, Hmm. um, really pulling out of connection. So all of that can be when the tone is out of the heart. And another aspect in the ventral side is also going to be into our throat, into our ability to use our voice, into that full experience expression and the way that the the nerve innervates into the larynx. And I think this is really important for a lot of us women as well, that, you know, we often feel pain in our throat when we try and speak up and we feel Mm. a lot of that kind of just sort of tightness there. And a lot of that has to do with where the use of this nerve energetically is hitting up into the stories of our too muchness or Mm. our too little. Oh, let me see if I can find my voice after all of that. <laughs> There's so much that I think all of us can. It's nice to have the anatomy piece explained because yeah. it's it really is like, I mean, there, there's it's almost like nervous system injury, you know? And how yes. are you expected yeah. to be calm when you right. have a nervous system injury? You know, yes, um, yes. whereas something that might not have made you nervous in the past, um, like made you nervous now. Absolutely. So, okay. What are some signs that we have a dysregulated or injured nervous system? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the biggest sign we all just need to accept that we have dysregulation is that we're human living in the modern age. Like it's just, it's absolutely impossible not to be dysregulated in this world. So I think 
what we have to do is realize that if dysregulation is normal, then what I want to look for is where am I on my spectrum of regulation to dysregulation? And where have I fallen below the threshold that I actually can operate kind of as a full self with, right? And so those signs that I am way down into too much dysregulation are obviously the places where we're feeling overly triggered, overly activated, right? But I think other places where we're not feeling anything, where we're kind of just numb, that is a sign of our dysregulation. When we're not having capacity to make new choice, that is a big sign of dysregulation. When we're stuck in the blame-shame kind of spiral, that is a big sign that a lot of dysregulation is happening. Physical signs are sleep. And this isn't so much that like from the external, there there would be factors of sleep, but like definitely when we have the right conditions for sleeping and we can't, right? Like the brain's not turning off. That is a sign that like we've got our foot on that sympathetic system gas and we're not able to sort of take our foot off that gas pedal. I think when we are getting, when we're really rigid, when we're just in black and white, thinking, when we're in judgment, all of these are evidences. What I'd like to remind us, the type of dysregulation that's going to be the most detrimental to us is the parts that keep us in protection or in rigidity. So when we're, when we've lost choice and when we've gone into hiding or defensive mode, those are the dysregulations that are doing some active in this moment type of damage to our system. Mm. So what can we do? I think the first place is to really start to be able to pay attention to ourselves without the shame, without thinking I should not ever be dysregulated or I'm doing it wrong or I'm, I can't be a leader. I can't be a mom. I can't, whatever it is that we get stuck in, right? Because we're so hard on ourselves. So I think the first thing we got to do is be a little nicer to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, the second thing you want to do is have your go-to tools that will help you in the moment. So first thing we want to think about is when we've hit that lower part of our dysregulation, or we're in that part of our system that is completely in coping or just completely out of alignment, think about it as if you have fallen over and you've skinned your knees or you've skinned your hands and now you're bleeding. And so the first thing we want to do is we want to clean up that, that blood and put some nice ointment on and put a bandaid on. Mm. Now that doesn't address why we fell over in the first place, but it does help us. Right. So the first thing we want to do is use some tools to take out some of the sting out, some of the judgment, some of the place where the trigger is just too overwhelming, whatever it might be. So great tools, some breath work, tapping, affirmations, journaling, co-regulate with someone who's more centered than you are co-regulate with nature. I would not recommend guided visualizations in this place. I would not recommend for a lot of us seated, silent, still mm-hmm. meditation. I totally agree. Right? Can you expand why? Well, because usually what's going on when we're that dysregulated, either we don't have access to our parasympathetic self anyway, and so trying to force that type of parasympathetic practice is either going to take those of us, such as my system, which goes to dissociation. So I'll just kind of I can give, I can look like I'm calm, but it's really just because I'm not there. Um, and 
And so I don't, if I go into a, if I go into a parasympathetic practice when I'm supercharged up, I don't downregulate the stress response. I just leave my body. And I think that's true for a lot of us. The other thing that happens is that if we go toward the parasympathetic, we go too parasympathetic too quickly, we don't actually get rid of the stress hormones that are cascading in our body. And so they have to get used up somewhere else. And so they, they deteriorate our cells. They break down the body. They create more dis-ease. And so we want to do practices that are going to help us release the charge first. Once we've released the charge, then we're ready to sort of take a step down towards more relaxation. But I think, again, what happens in most nervous system work is that we think about it being opposites. I'm either sympathetic or I'm parasympathetic, rather than thinking about it as this kind of blended spectrum that's Mm. always, you know, it's more of like an ombre. It's like, where am I and what do I need in kind of this this multi-painting, multi-mix, you know, I've lost my words, but I think you get it. I know you get it. I get it. Yeah. And this collage. The collage. Thank you. Yeah. And and not that I'm either or, right? Not because remember with every breath, the inhales the sympathetic side of your system and the exhales the parasympathetic. So we're never all or one. We're constantly in both. And yes, one's going to tend to be more in the forefront, in the biophysical, one can tend to be more in the forefront emotionally, all of these ways, but we need to practice more blending rather than I'm on or I'm off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when even I say it, a regulated nervous system, can you define mm-hmm. what a regulated nervous system means? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a misnomer when we talk about a regulated nervous system, not because there isn't such a thing, but because the system's always actually regulating. So it's always regulated to something. So what I like to think about is what is the quality of the regulation that I'm in and what's the quality of the regulation I would want to invite because even dysregulated dysregulation is a it's I'm regulated to dysregulation. I'm regulated Mm. to chaos. I'm regulated to dis-ease. I'm regulated to disharmony. Right. So I think if we think about it more as a quality rather than I either am or I am not, because we always are, the body is always doing that. If we're alive, there is some version of regulation happening. Mm. Right. So what are we attuned to? What's the quality of the regulation? So we want to have really good regulation, right? We want to have regulation that brings us towards center, that brings us towards openness, that has space for pleasure, that's inviting us towards creativity. And I think if we think about what we might want to attune our regulation to, it's more empowering for us rather than getting stuck in the parts of, especially our autonomic nervous system, which is we can influence, but it's ultimately working below our cognitive reasoning. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can't control it. (laughs) And I think this is one of the places where we can either ignore that and just try and exert more control of ourselves with our good vibes and our positive thinking, or we can (laughs) accept, right. That, if I'm going to be regulated towards that place that we would say is like that inspirational place I want to move to, then what am I inviting myself? How do I partner with my nervous system to invite the state of being that feels what I want? Um, you know, so for me, I ask people a lot like, well, what does it feel like to be supported? What does it feel like to feel 
um, in flow? What does it feel like to um, feel liberated or free or have choice? And then using those words as the emotional attunement that then starts to give that information that moves down from the emotional body into the biophysical body and gives that opportunity for even at the cells for them to be able to be curious as like, well, if I were attuned, if the cell were attuning towards well-being or magnificence or peace, how would it be operating, mm. right? So that we're inviting the system on all levels towards a level of attunement, a quality of life that we want to be experiencing. Mm, I love that. I love that. I just want to circle back to just the tips you gave about breathing. I don't know if you said humming, but that's one of the ones you've you've shared with me and that I've 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 yeah, tried yeah. for a while. Blowing horsey lips, that's another good great one. Yeah. Um moving yeah. the body, especially bouncing or shaking yes. is really good. Yes. Any good yes. quickie tips cuz I know that you know a lot of people can relate to feeling a bit dysregulated, having some anxiety, mm-hmm. to knowing their nervous system is on that more sympathetic firing. Yeah. Move your eyes. Yeah. Move your eyes. So if you, if you've been in like short vision and you've kind of been stuck, go long vision, look away. If you've been looking really direct zone, the gaze out, like let it open up a little bit. So we can do a lot Mm -hmm. actually with our eyes and you can do a lot with your eyes, even, and then lightly tapping in the back of your head. So we're just kind of getting into those cranial nerves we're getting a little bit of movement. Our eyes are going to do, a, they hold a lot of tension. They hold a lot of our stress response, especially because we do so much work on computers these days. So moving the eyes can be really helpful. Taking a deep, deep sigh can really help the body go. That's right. right. <laughs> we are like, this is a lot and we're here. Um, drinking through a straw, drinking water through a straw really? can get into that. Huh. Yep. Yep. Because that swallowing mechanisms actually bringing toning to the vagus, and then of course water hydration. We need so much more of it than we think. Um, so yeah, I love. I drink through a straw a lot. Is that because um, of the, how our lips are forming around the straw? What? Why the straw? It, it's well, it's more of the way that I guess. Yeah, I guess the tone of the lips as it draws the water in requires a different kind of um, mechanism of the throat. Like more the, the, the swallowing is a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more. Um, realizes you'll notice like babies, like one of the reasons, like, of course they need the nutrients, but like the sucking action is actually regulating for them. Right. Right. With their, with their passies, with their, um, breastfeeding with, the, with their bottles. Um, we always so said moving our eyes, drinking the water, doing the humming, definitely, um, shifting your hips in your seat. So if you're like in a place where you're like, I can't draw a lot of attention to myself, Tapping or humming would be inappropriate right now. You can just like gently shift in your seat and get that spine back towards a little, little bit of mobility. Shifting our posture without forcing the posture. So I love to let go of the idea of good posture, bad posture. But if we could just notice like, am I too far forward, which we're going to be mm. when we're in fight or flight or we're too far back. We're going to be a lot when we're in freeze or flee. So where's my posture? Can I find a different relationship to gravity? That can actually be really helpful for the body to start to find some safety just by shifting where you are in your seat. And I think also too, that ability just to draw the shoulder blades down the back and if possible, gentle touch belly and chest really helps to bring safety into the body as well. 
Mm. It's easy to talk about. And when we're in the moment and we're in one of those loops. Oh gosh. It's so, (laughs) it's like when we need it most. It's so hard. It's amnesia for all the tools or we just can't seem to like find them. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) So how do we, well, toning the nervous system in non- heightened moments help us to build a body where we can regulate quicker? Absolutely. So what we really want to be doing is we want to be thinking about our practices and the formal ways of like, I spend, I would say at least five to 10 minutes a day. Right. And like, even if that's combined with other things, like even if you're combining it with washing the dishes or putting the laundry in or walking to and from the mailbox or sitting at a stop sign. Right. So I think in, some of us have a luxury or we've got a life where it's designed like I have formal practice. This is carved out in my day. And some of us don't. So add it to what you need to. But spending time in formal practice where you're saying to yourself, right now, I'm, I'm toning my Vegas. Right now, I'm building safety. Right now, I'm learning to relax. Whatever it might be. And it can be really simple. And just because it's formal practice doesn't mean it has to be a super formal meditation or a full dance or a full yoga class or anything like that. It really can be a few minutes of tuning into my breath, checking in with a little body scan, doing a little bit of humming. You know, you can keep it as simple as you want, but that there's a time when you're not in the trigger, you're not in the marathon at that very moment and you go, I'm practicing. Mm-hmm. And you have that place of checking in with yourself and you have that place of building the muscle. So that when you're in the marathon and you're like, wait, okay, I'm just falling apart. I don't know what to do. That maybe that muscle is going to kick in automatically, even when you're not remembering to do the formal practice in that moment, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Even when it's, but I think in the moment, what we want to remember is that we were made for co-regulation. So when you're falling apart, when you're at your wit's end, you're not necessarily going to be able to self-regulate in those places. And that's not because you're not amazing. And that's not because you haven't practiced. And that's, it's just because it's really freaking hard. And so also having practice co-regulation where you can actually tap into it in that moment. So I love to have meditations that I work with so that it's like, when I can't recall those words, I think can think of that meditation. So I'm not trying to find my voice. I'm receiving what I've already practiced, right? Having those trees or like, I always have fresh cut flowers in my office. And part of that is they're a safety cue for me. So when I get stressed, I know to look at to my flowers and it's like, I remember the beauty and I'm allowing myself to be held in the environment, right? So having also cues built into our environment can be really helpful for when we hit those stress moments, having a friend that all you have to do is like, you've already got the code set up and it's like, you send the two or you send, you know, a certain smiley face, or you just send like a G and they're like on it, grounding you, sending you so much love, sending you, I'm holding you just those words of co-regulation that can help us be able to tap back in. So, so very important. And I think also when we're in the place of it's really, really heightened, things are, you know, going off kilter just giving ourselves the permission that like right now, just deal with the blood, 
what's the blood of this moment that, you know, what's the, what's the mm-hmm. actual thing that needs to be, and then no, I'm going to come back later and I'm going to have to clean up the energy later. I'm going to have to come back and pick up all the parts of myself. I left her in this moment. So I think not having so much expectation on ourselves to do it beautifully, just giving ourselves the permission to keep going. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's so, so huge. And it it takes, um, training. It really does take training the nervous system. And I, I see it so much in my life. So So it's so hard. It's so hard. I, I want to um, speak about hypervigilance because as you know, it's mm. something I've mastered. I could really teach <laughs> courses on how to be hypervigilant. I'm just excellent <laughs> at it. Um, <laughs> could you speak a little bit about what hypervigilance is and where it comes from? Yeah. So, you know, hypervigilance is where our either safety system has been hijacked or for a lot of us, it was never really set kind of fully to begin with. So for me, my hypervigilance arrived because I was born to parents who were, bless them, but really emotionally immature. Mm-hmm. And as a little girl, emotionally, energetically, I sensed that maybe these people don't quite know what's going on, right? And <laughs> <laughs> like bless them. I love them. And also they were kids. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Why were they having kids? They were kids. But anyway, so why do so many so, people have kids? I mean, it's really just right? like, Oh my gosh. It's, it's just like, Oh, bless my, our hearts. I know. I know. Bless our hearts. Yeah. So, you know, I just learned to kind of brace because I was always concerned about when the shoe was going to drop. And what was going to, you know, the, the instability, the emotional instability. And so I learned very early on, super unconsciously, super non-verbally, that's two cues here about our hypervigilance. Mm. It's unconscious and it's non-verbal, but it's in our body and it's our body's alertness to whatever cues we learned to track so that we could stay safe. Mm-hmm. And then this gets magnified. And so then at some point in our childhood or even into adolescence, we start to have events that begin to confirm this need for this hypervigilance. And then we become really good at humaning, which is like, I am going to take this hypervigilance, as you said, like to PhD status, right? Like I have mastered it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be so controlling, <laughs> right? I'm going to control these things as a way to protect myself, as a way to make sure I stay safe. Yep. And no one can let me down. I don't have to rely on anyone. no one can let me down. And exactly, I don't have to rely on anyone. I'm not going to be disappointed anymore. But what happens is whatever we're hypervigilant about, we're actually keeping a low hum of that frequency. Sometimes not even low hum, even up to mid to high hum sometimes, right? We're keeping it active in our system. So basically what we're saying with our hypervigilance is like, okay, here is, what was that? Like they used to, like arsenic used to be like the poison, right? I think people are poisoning mm-hmm. each other with something else now, but anyway, so we're like, arsenic's bad for you, right? So, but you know, in my order to make sure I don't take the arsenic, I'm going to keep taking a little bit of arsenic every day to make sure that I never get too much arsenic. Right. Right. It's just, right. it's this loop that absolutely is never going to make sense. The hypervigilance. We feel like we need it. We know it's doing damage to us. 
And yet it seems like we have to, right? So what we want to do is rather than arguing about hypervigilance, we want to get curious, what would safety and support help me with? What would it feel like if I were supported and safe? And let me tell you, when you're coming from a place of hypervigilance and someone asks you that at first, you might want to punch them. And, you're, and your answer is like, I don't freaking know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it can seem like they're asking the question in a re- like, it's like so obtuse. But it's not meant to be a question you answer. It's meant to be a place you just stay curious. I don't know what safety would feel like. What could I imagine? So like you and I have talked about something that we both love is like being able to look out our window and see the water. And for me, one of the ways that I have worked with my hypervigilance is to work with what elemental support do I need? So when my hypervigilance, like I might notice the tone of it, it's like it can get super duper, like very like rocky, like it's very dense rocks that are on fire, right? It's like, that's what hypervigilance feels like to me. So it's like, oh, water is really helpful for cooling that down. A breeze is really helpful for cooling that down. So allowing myself to bring in both actual elemental cues of like, I live near the water so I can see it. And that really helps me to feel safe. But also like I could bring up a picture on my computer. I could just imagine being near the water. So there's ways that we can find safety that again, is not about finding logic of safety, but it's about asking my system, what would mm-hmm. you need right now? What mm-hmm. would you need right now? Right. And so hypervigilance, we have to remind ourselves, you can leave. That would be our fleet pattern. You can leave or you could fight because part of what's happening in the hypervigilance is that we don't know which way to go because we don't know how to stay safe. Right. So actually letting ourselves be a little messy, like let yourself say the thing. And then you're like, that was the, like the craziest, most convoluted way I could say that, but I needed just to say something, right. I needed to just leave. I needed to just give myself the permission to do it messily. So part of healing our hypervigilance is to allow some messiness, allow some places where we don't do it perfect right? I think all of us who deal with hypervigilance, we're also dealing with our perfectionist. We're also dealing with an imposter. And so allowing safe places to explore what are small choices I could make that make me feel more empowered around this. What would I really choose? And then the last place that I would say is this is the place where we get to go back and realize I need to reparent my inner child the way she did it so that she feels safe. So for me, that's like really being an emotional stability to myself and really saying like, if I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to be trustworthy. I'm going to show up for you, right? If I say that, you know, so it's like, how do I become the parent that I need that provides that emotional stability? I love that. Speaking of parenting, can you talk a little bit about how our nervous systems impact our children's? Yes. So I think that what matters most in thinking about how we're parenting our children are two things. One, that we really learn to practice repair even with our children. So explaining and and sharing like, oh, mommy got overloaded um, and I'm really sorry that I was short with you. Um, Mommy's going to practice speaking up using her words before she gets overloaded, right? And actually like making regulation a normal part 
not put in any pretense that mommy's going to be perfect or daddy's going to be perfect. Um, and, and talking about what you're doing to support yourself with your children, like bringing in that emotional intelligence from the beginning, like with little to with toddlers, like really, really great. I think practicing things with them that help to regulate the whole family, really important kitchen dance parties, shaking it out. You know, it's like, it's not just kids that need to get their wiggles out. We all got wiggles inside of us that need to come out. Some of us need to reconnect with our wiggles so that they can come out. I think using that, I think what we have to remember is that the biggest damage we're going to do or to the, with our, with our families, the biggest place we can activate wounding that we don't mean to is when we ignore and we act like there's not a mismatch. I think what does the most harm is when we pretend we're okay and we're not. Mm -hmm. When we pretend that we've got capacity and we don't. I think what does less harm is when we say, mommy's really tired or mommy's really, mama's having a day and we just got to go slower. Mm. You know, because mom mom is, is not got all the energy. I think when we pretend and we push through, what that means is that at some point they begin to recognize the information they were receiving through their body and the story of the family don't match. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. when we've not created safety and secure attachment. We need those things to match up. So it's not about us being perfect. It is about us being more truthful, being more intimate, while also recognizing that when you're co-regulating for your family, which every mama is, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I think if we could say what is the most single dysregulating thing you could do, it's have a child. <laughs> Between what it does to your body and pregnancy, to going through labor, to then now having to keep someone alive while your cellular structure for the next seven years is shifting. I'm like, it's crazy. Women are amazing. Mm. Um, mamas are amazing. And I think the fact that our society is not designed to support moms and that we leave all of this burden of the co-regulation of, you know, like not giving support. I think moms just that you need to recognize you're fighting an uphill battle in so many ways and just like forgive yourself and be willing to just stay in the conversation, be willing to cultivate you know, as much co-regulation with other people as you can coming together and in, in community. And then also remember that repair really does matter. No imprint um, from our childhood is set unless it is affirmed over and over and over again. Mm, I think that's so important. And I, I say repeatedly, it's never too late to have a good childhood. We, we exactly. can give ourselves that in our daily life. Mm, that's so good. I want to just circle back before we start to wrap up about the, the child thing, because what you talked about, about saying, oh, we need to slow down. Our mom's just having a day. A lot of us have very empathetic kids. How mm. do we do that and make it super clear that it's not the child's job to make us better? Oh, that's so important. It's so good. So I think just naming those things on the forefront and then also redirecting them as you find them. So if you find that they're taking on the emotional burden to entertain you or hold things, just reminding them like that's mama's we're all good. Like Mm -hmm. your job is to be 
you. Your job yeah. is to be the kid. And I think that also recognizing if you've got a kid who's highly sensitive and who has that type of empathic ability, how do you make it into their superpower? Yeah. So how do you not ignore, how do you not have them ignore their feelings, but also then, you know, teaching them, well, how do you recognize if it's yours or if it's mama's, how do you choose what you're going to do with that? Maybe you, you know, make it a little game and they can have, like, there's a, a chart and it's like mommy's faces and, and daddy's faces and siblings faces and their face. And it's like, okay, well, who's really sad right now? And it's like, oh, daddy's sad. And it's mm -hmm. like, is it okay for daddy to be sad? It's okay for daddy to be sad. Do we have to fix daddy's sadness? No, we just get to love daddy while he's sad, right? And it's like mm -hmm. actually like bringing in that, that the conversation about it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us hold so much shame from being highly sensitive. Yeah. And it's not been, it, it, it's been the place in our relationships where like everyone makes us wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I raised my hand to that. Like, I mean, if totally. I had, I don't get the you're too much. I get the you're too sensitive. Oh, you're, you're just so sensitive. sensitive. <laughs> Even when I need to like carry black tape and black out the light in the sure. hotel room or need yeah. a room far away from elevators because I can hear the elevators going up and down. I can feel right. them if I'm too close to an elevator shaft. I know. Oh, you're so it's, sensitive. <laughs> totally. I will say doing nervous system work has really helped me actually embrace how sensitive I am mm. and, and just to really own it. And it's like, I call it like, for me, it's like, I'm like, yep, I'm going to be super high maintenance about this yeah. because I yeah. actually know that to not be high maintenance about it is actually yeah. going to really, it's going to really destroy my system. And yeah. then I'm going to have a lot more recovery and it's just not worth it. So yeah, yeah I'm going to be a little bit of a diva about like, no, I've got to move away from the yeah. elevator and no, we can't have fluorescent lights in here. Yeah. Oh my God. Fluorescent <laughs> lights. Oh my gosh. I, uh, <laughs> they're torture. Well, and, and, no. and also protecting our children because I'll give an example yeah. for Athena, like Athena to sleep needs total blackout and yeah. white noise around her. She needs her senses cut off. Otherwise yeah. she's just engaged with the world. And so many other moms and people have been like, oh, you got to expose your light. That's going to be so hard to maintain. And like, she, maybe she doesn't really need that. And you're being too particular with her. And I have to really be a stand for what my child needs as a highly yeah. sensitive, empathic, intuitive child. And mm -hmm. if she needs a room blacked out, which means when we travel, we have aluminum foil and duct tape and people are like, Oh no, we have blackout curtains. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Yeah. I mean, blackout, <laughs> like you can't see your hand if you wave it in front of your face, like black <laughs> out. And that's just, that's what she needs. And that helps her yeah. disengage from the world and be able to sleep. And if that's what I need to do for her, I will. And as she gets older and as we can have more conversations, well, we'll maybe shift it, you know, we'll, we'll see one day at a time. But at this stage right. in her life where she's only, you know, not even two years into the world, it's like protecting those sensitivities and not mm -hmm. like, and, and I think that's always the, not always, but that's something that we as empaths, highly sensitive people or parents of highly sensitive is to honor the needs and also make it safe to be in the world. Right. Because yeah. if we go too far to the extreme, it's, it's then how is it safe to be in the world, you know? And so we try, we balance that out with when we hear sirens, Ooh, sirens going to help people. And like, she had a big startle reflex for many months and we've, we've worked on that. So it's just, yeah. 
right. you know, finding that balance. I'm sure you have something to say about that. Well, I just, I love what you're bringing up because there's something, and you know, we can hear it from parents on both sides and all the things of like, you're making them too soft, how are they ever going to navigate the world if they did it out, right? What I love to remember is there's stimuli that are within our control. And I always get a choice about how I engage with stimuli that's in my control. And then there are stimuli that are out of my control. And I always get a choice about how I navigate those. Here's the thing. If I've practiced choosing how I navigate what's in my control, I am much more resourced to meet in a safe, responsive way what's outside of my control. I love that. I love right. Yep. So if I can own that, like, yep. So I too, I am, I am your daughter. I want it completely black. Mm -hmm. I sleep with as much blackout as I possibly can. I also use eye masks and I will always have a sound machine going. Yep. And earplugs. Um, I mask earplugs, sound machine, blackout (laughs) curtains. That's me. Yep. Totally. (laughs) Right. And, and at hotels, I'm like stuffing things in all the places, you know, absolutely. So And that is going to help me be more resourced in my day when I have to navigate stimuli that I can't stuff with a blanket or whatever, right? So the more resourced I am, the more responsive I'm going to be towards the things that come at me. Mm -hmm. So it does, it's, it's actually going to give me more responsiveness And it's going to keep my nervous system healthier because I feel empowered around the choices I need to make. That's such a beautiful, not even reframe, just a more true way to say it. And and I know that so many people listening have been told the you're too sensitive thing. Yeah. What is one of the ways you respond to that comment that shuts people up, (laughs) you know, where they just get it and they maybe actually have empathy and and respect for it? (laughs) I think being too sensitive, I, so what I remember is that that person saying it to me has their own agenda. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that agenda is that they don't want me to get hurt. And it's kind of a buck up buttercup. You're going to, you know, like, don't be so sensitive about this. And so in those instances, when that person is saying it to me and they think they're helping, I want to just hear it through my own filter of love. But what I want to say to them is, my sensitivity is not something that I am ashamed of. It is a superpower and it's what makes me the best version of me that I can be. If I wasn't Mm -hmm. sensitive, I would not have my intuitive powers that operate. I would not be able to lead and guide the way that I do. I'm not afraid of my sensitivity. Yeah. I don't need it protected. I don't need it changed. When I'm being cheeky, And when somebody is saying it to me, who is probably not coming from a place of love, but wants to come from a place of judgment, what I would just say is like, you know, my sensitivity is what actually makes the world worth living. Like like the fact that I'm sensitive is like, it makes life worth it. Yeah. Right. Like, I think there's something just to like, I don't ever have to buy into someone else's meaning of like my being overly emotional is a problem. Right. That's right. That's right. You know? All right. This has all been so informative and, you know, I could talk to you for hours. Luckily I I do get to talk to you for hours, which is, which is awesome. What I'd love to close with is if you can guide us through a process, maybe to kind of like 
unplug our nervous system and energy from anyone else Mm. in the world and really come back into our own field and into our own regulation. Beautiful. Let's do it. All right. So first thing I'm going to invite you to do is just take a few breaths, whatever might feel like a deep breath right now. And if you can do that in through the nose and out through the mouth, go ahead and do that. And as you're taking these first few breaths, just go ahead and move your hips, roll your shoulders, stretch your arms, anything that your body might want to do. And then we're just going to do this really quickly. So I'm just going to invite you to say to yourself, can I get 5% more comfortable right now? And that can include letting go of good posture and maybe just letting gravity take over just a bit. And now we're going to begin to breathe in for five counts and breathe out for five counts. And you can breathe out the nose or out the mouth. And we're going to do the clearing in our three centers. We're going to start with our head. So as you're breathing in and breathing out, just centering your awareness into the brain space. You might just immediately tune in to all of the energy that's sort of moving in around and the static, all the places you're being inundated or that you're sending energy out. And I just want you to imagine that you've got an old fashioned radio there in your brain and you're just gonna begin to turn the dial. And as we're turning the dial, you're just releasing the static. Just allowing it to get clear, maybe even a little quiet in the head. And then just moving your awareness down in the body to the heart space. I just want you to imagine that in the front of the heart, there's a plug, just like what you would plug into the wall, plugged into the front of your heart. And it goes out. And as it goes out, you might see it going in a hundred different directions, plugged into hundreds of different things where your energy is moving out of your body And on your next exhale, I just want you to imagine, and you could even physicalize this if you want to take your non-dominant hand, reaching up to the center of the heart space in the front and unplugging this cable and imagine that you're dropping it down into the earth. And then just putting a little cap, just like you're baby proofing that space, just put a little cap right there on that plug. 
Let it melt back into your heart space. Then you're probably already feeling the space between your shoulder blades. We're gonna unplug right there as well. And this is really unplugging us from the past, all the emotional baggage that we're carrying, all of the burdens of others that we're carrying. And just imagine that you could reach right around into the back, unplug right in the back of the heart, put that plug down into the earth, close off that plug and let it seep back into your heart space. And then just dropping your awareness down into the belly. And now that we've cleared the energy from the head and the heart, and we move down into the belly. Just feeling your feet, your seat. We're gonna start with that tuner that we used in the head. So finding that dial in the belly and just tuning the antenna. And I want you to choose whether you wanna to tune towards maybe what you would call safety or maybe you call it support or maybe you wanna to tune towards connection to yourself or your yes, but just turning, imagining turning that dial, using that tuner until you find that frequency. And imagine as you find that frequency that it feels enlivening, that it feels connecting, opening, grounding into this belly. And imagine that you could really feel it in the belly. And then lightly tapping right around the belly button, right above the belly button, just little gentle taps with your non-dominant hand and just saying something affirming to yourself such as it's safe to be me I am safe in my center I am allowed as I am and just bringing that tapping up to the chest I am lovable, I am wanted, I am chosen, I am able to connect, whatever the words the heart needs to express in. And then bring that tapping around to the back of the head, low in the skull, right where the neck and the head are meeting. 
just tapping there and affirming some things you know. I know that I am brilliant. I know that I am creating. I know that I am growing. And then take a deep breath in, hold at the top. As you're holding that breath in, just relax all of your body that you can. And when you're exhaling, just saying to yourself, release, release, release. That first release clears the head. The second release clears the heart. The third release clears the belly. And then if you've had your eyes closed, you can blink them open, stretch your arms, yawn, grab that drink with a straw and take a big chub. Oh, I'm ready for a nap. (laughs) That was so nice. Yeah. That was so nice. Thank you. It felt very, very nourishing. People can have that on, on repeat. And there's so much more people can get from you. I mean, as you know, um, Alicia's my coach, so there's one-on-one coaching available, but you also have courses and group programs. Can you share a little bit about where people can connect with you? Yeah, right now, easiest way is probably Linktree via um, Instagram. I'll make sure you've got that link, Christine. Mm -hmm. And yeah, training programs. I love working with coaches and healers, facilitators, so that you can do your own nervous system healing and then bring it into your own work so that you're guiding your clients in a really neuro-wise way. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And um, what is your handle on Instagram? Elisha underscore Halpin. There you go, everybody. So find her there. We'll also put the link in the show notes. Thank you so yeah. much. And just thank you for your all the work that you've done to regulate yourself mm. so that you can help the rest yeah. of us. Appreciate you so My much. My pleasure. <laughs> I appreciate you. Love you. Love you too.